volatility, uncertainty, complexity. This is the work environment that is our reality. What will leaders need to know to be successful in the future? Who will they need to be to build team member commitment? How will they need to show up to create a motivating environment for their people? Welcome to the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast, a dialogue about how leaders will need to adapt to be successful in a rapidly changing world. And now, please join your host and executive producer, Sal Sylvester, to engage in the conversation about the future of leadership and how to transform people into confident leaders. Hello, listeners. This is Sal Sylvester. I'm the founder and CEO of 512 Solutions, an executive coaching and leadership development firm based here in Boulder, Colorado, helping people transform themselves into confident leaders. I'm also the founder and CEO of Coach Metrics, a cloud-based tool we developed to measure behavioral change in coaching and leadership development. Thank you so much for joining me today to talk about the future of leadership. This podcast is all about the future. As our society and our world changes around us, what does that mean for leaders? That's what we're here to answer. And as the complexity of our businesses and our organizations increase, who will leaders need to be? How do they need to show up to be successful as a leader? That's where my curiosity lies as an executive coach. And I know that from coaching thousands of leaders globally, that what leaders have done in the past isn't necessarily the model for what they need to do to be successful in the future. And in many cases, that model is outdated and may not even exist in the next few years to come. So I'm excited to be in a place of inquiry with you, my listeners and my guests, to explore what the future of leadership might look like. We have an amazing guest with us today. His name is Chris Sword. Chris is the president of Pearl Izumi, one of cycling's most iconic brands and a market leader in the apparel and footwear business. Prior to Pearl Izumi, Chris had been president of Oberalp for the past nine years. Oberalp owns brands that you know, like Dinafit and Salewa, Wild Company and Pomoka brands. And Chris has also been a mentor and advisor at Black Lab Sports in Boulder, Colorado, a sports tech accelerator where he's advised CEOs and portfolio companies. What I think you are going to love most about this interview is how purpose-driven Chris is as a leader. He knows how to drive innovation. He knows how to build healthy work cultures. And we're going to hear directly from Chris on some of the key initiatives that he took early on in his time as president of ProZumi to tap into his talented employees and to position the organization for the future. Let's go to that interview now. So, Chris, you're the president of cycling's probably most iconic brand, Prolazumi. And from your vantage point, I'd love to know what important trends you're seeing in the workplace, whether it's related to people or technology or culture, business. What's showing up in, in your world? Yeah, I'll take some liberties and, and answer that question somewhat broadly. I mean, you know, thinking about this podcast and the conversation that we might have, I kind of thought about things from a broad, you know, macro standpoint, industry trends standpoint, and what is impacting the way that we think about our go-to-market and Pearl Zumi from Pearl Zumi's perspective and also from a leadership perspective. You know, I hit the first a little bit to begin with. You know, thank you for that compliment about Pearl Zumi. It's a brand that, uh, that you know, that I know, 
I think we both love. I know I love. It's been a yeah. brand that I've been, you know, sort of attached to for, for a super long time. I, you know, it's an old brand. It's authentic. But I think it's been, it has not been mismanaged. It's been undermanaged, I think, mm-hmm. over time. It's been, you know, had a relatively traditional approach and it's pursued growth by doing more things. And what we're doing is trying to pursue growth by doing less things, really narrow our focus and expand our opportunity. And that mentality probably as much as anything is driven by the world around us, right? It starts with Pearl Zooming and what we can do and what we're all about, but it's looking outside and, you know, real macro trends that we've been wrapping our head around and our strategy around are, are at least threefold and that, you know, and I might add a fourth, but the three are health, environment and mobility. These are macro trends that are at play, that are going to continue, that are really going to accelerate with generational trends, generational change. And the fourth one I might add is what we call getting off the surface, right? I mean, we're all playing on the surface, you know, social media, et cetera. And I think there's a real boomerang trend to getting back in touch with personal connections. So you know, health, environment, and mobility are a big deal. And I'd love to tell you that Pearl Zumi is driving those trends, but that's not the case, right? Pearl Zumi is feeding those trends, right? And I think that's, maybe that's a, you know, something that's evolved over time in and of itself is that it, there was a time, I think, where brands could drive trends. I think those times are largely done. I think now we feed trends. And so figure out what's happening out there, figure out again what you know the brand and the company is capable of and, and aligning those things. But I think that that's really powerful in general for sure. And I think yeah. specifically for Pearl Zumi. Yeah, uh, that's cool. You know, I love off this, your off the surface comment. Part of what we're seeing certainly in our world is there's such a need to bring more humanity back into the workplace. And one of our core values at 512 Solutions is connection connection with mm-hmm. people, connection with our clients, connection with whoever. And there's just so much more that, that I think is needed, certainly in the workplace. So health, mobility, the environment, is that what you said was the second one? The third, yep, yep. Uh, yeah, so, so t- tell me about, let's go through each of those. Tell me what you're noticing in this trend around health. You know, it's signaled by a lot of different things, right? I mean, there's you know, just when you see what's happening with companies like Peloton, when you see what's happening with you know, certainly in our space, things like SoulCycle and the proliferation of exercise, you know, CrossFit, you know, right. options that are out there. And certainly when it comes to natural foods and gluten-free and everything else that, uh, you know, that's happening, there's, there is a move back and I think maybe an acceleration of a reorientation towards health and well-being. And that is something that plays out on the natural food side as well as, uh, you know, athletics and sports. So, so I think it's one that, again, like I said, and I'll say the same thing about all three, they exist and I think they're accelerating. Yeah. So then there's this, the second trend is around environment. What are you noticing? You know what? I mean, it is super clear that, you know, I will start in inside and go outside. It's super clear inside in our company that there's just so much passion for the environment. And it's very true as we look to the outside in general, that there is more and more appreciation and attention to being responsible, right? At least at, at minimum. And we've said at Pearl Zumi for a long time, we will be responsible because it's the right thing to do. But what's mm-hmm. more valuable for us is to focus, align, and, and create a perspective that is uniquely Pearl Zumi and, uh, you know, and really make a, make a broader impact. You know, the environment is just, I mean, I would be underestimating, you know, what the, your audience already understands, right? From yeah. global warming and all the way down, right? Yes. It, it's just, it's, it's at the top of consciousness. 
but how do you deal with it? How do you approach it as a brand like Pearl Zumi? It's just super clear that it's core, you know, to our mission and our values and it's core to our, to our employee base and, and it's core to our consumers. And when you look at consumers, then maybe even a little bit more deeply from a generational standpoint, millennials, Gen Z are only going to care more. And then from a cycling standpoint, we're talking about, you know, our audience is bike riders and, you know, and bike riders want to recreate in the environment. They want to commute in the environment. You know, they want to maintain and enhance the environment. So it's just, it's a broad trend again, that has a lot of relevance for us. Yeah. It's interesting because we hear so much about the millennial generation. And to me, part of what they're bringing back to our world is Gosh, how do, how do I even describe it? Like, you know, the ability to touch and, and to feel and to appreciate some things that are so real that maybe we've lost a little bit in our environment. Right. And I think an appreciation for our environment and for health and mobility, they're elevating the importance of that in our workspaces. We know those are going to become more and more important for businesses moving forward. You know, the whole thing around experiences, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah. really true. And it's, Hard to really wrap your head around, obviously, because consumerism is alive and well. But I think with passing generations, you're seeing more attention for experiences, personal connections, again, getting off the surface, which is kind of, you know, you could argue, right? Because obviously social media and, you know, and yes. devices that are so pervasive and certainly they're pervasive in those generations. But I think that's producing, again, a little bit of a rebound effect. People need personal connections. It's just not going to change. Some of that can happen mm-hmm. through technical means, but but it can't replace entirely, you know, the personal connection. And that's really critical for millennials. Uh, There's just no doubt. Why is it so critical in the business? We do rely so much on technology, whether it's email, text, Slack, fill in the blank, but what's unique and special about that personal connection? It's a really good question, right? Because uh, there's lots of maybe trends that have been pulling us apart remote working and, and like you said, you know, video conferencing and et cetera. But I think that that is, again, just a, a human necessity, mm. personal connection that, that is critical. You know, it's, I will diverge for a second. There's, I took a sociology class in college, you know, about a hundred years ago. And we, we talked about the two professions with the highest rate of suicide. And it's a fun trivia question. I don't even know if it's true anymore, but the two were, were toll booth collectors and, and dentists. And, wow. you know, and they, your next question is why, and, and the reason that you know that was given is because it's a high volume of personal interaction. You see lots of people, but your interaction with those people is very shallow. Yeah. Right. So it's just it's important for us to connect. We have to connect with people mm-hmm. on a human level. Some of that can happen through a computer, but not all of it. So computers are going to take us so far, but then there's going to be a rebound. There just yes. Has to. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And uh, part of where my curiosity lies is. How do leaders need to think differently with some of these trends that you mentioned, you know, even just beyond the consumer products industry in general, when Mm -hmm. it comes to health, environment, mobility, technology, connection, how do you think leaders need to think differently in the future? It's interesting to me. You know, it's a lot of what you, what you need to be good at in your personal life, you need to be good at in your professional life. I think there is a uh, blending of the two. Personal yes. connections are really critical. One of my favorite sayings is, you know, leadership is personal, not positional, mm. right? I mean, it's fine that you have a big title, president, CEO, whatever it might be. That gives you a bit of authority, but it doesn't give you leadership. You know, leadership yes. is personal. It's about communication. It's about trust. Related to that, I would say, is, you know, the critical importance of modeling, right? Mm-hmm. You know, as a leader, you cannot simply dictate that this is the way I expect you to act. You have to model 
you know, and that's a little bit of lead by example, but I think there's more to it now. Leading by example is to me, doesn't have enough depth to it. Mm. Modeling is important because you really have to be super clear about what it is you expect and then model it, not just do it right. You have to really communicate and create that trust that creates that connection. Yeah. And in many ways it's the foundation of credibility, the trust, the communication, Mm -hmm. the modeling. If you want people to follow you, you really have to establish yourself through those means. And if you want credibility, you mentioned part of your growth strategy at Pearl Izumi is growth by less. Tell me more about your thinking behind that. Um, Oftentimes we, we think the opposite, you know, how do we grow by acquisition or by adding more product lines or by diversifying our product base growth is less was a similar strategy that I think Steve Jobs mm-hmm. employed when he came back to Apple. How are you approaching it? It's a great question. I hope I have a good answer for it. <laughs> uh, you know, because Pearl Zumi, as I said, was really doing the opposite for years and years. It was more channels, more product lines, more countries, right. more distributors, mm. you know, more products. And a good example of, you know, broad example of that for Pearl Zumi was getting into the run business, right? Pearl Zumi is a almost 70 year old brand that was founded by a father giving his son a bike jersey and inspiring him to create a, you know, a cycling apparel company. And then a number of years ago, we diversified into run. And it was as I was being recruited, I've been with the company now for a little over two years, right. we made the decision to exit run. And it was one of the things that was proof positive to me that this brand that again, as I said earlier, I've been kind of attached to for so long, was serious about focus, was serious about getting back to what it's good at and what it stands for. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, at a high level, it is cycling. But then even beyond that, I will expand on the idea of, of depth, right? The only way that you can narrow your focus and expand your opportunity is if you, in my mind, is if you go deeper, right? Because the surface is the products you're offering and the channels you're selling them through. You know, most cycling brands, and this principle is generally true in, in other arenas as well, but cycling brands basically look at the landscape and on two dimensions. What do you ride and how often do you ride? You know, right. so are you a road biker, mountain biker, you know, maybe, okay, now there's gravel, right? So as we, as we segment and sub-segment, what do you ride? And then how often do you ride a lot? Do you ride a little? If you're a road biker and you ride a lot, you're going to buy an expensive bib. If you're a mountain biker and you ride a little, you're going to buy an inexpensive pair of baggies. That's shallow. That's two-dimensional. Right. You know, if you want to tie together cyclists in a meaningful way, you have to go deeper. And, uh, and by going deeper, you can narrow your focus, you know, and expand your opportunity because you're going to connect with consumers in a more meaningful way. You are going to connect with consumers that span a wider consumer base, right? Because yeah. you can't narrow your focus and say, we're going to focus on these hundred consumers. You have to, you know, narrow your, narrow your message and narrow what is meaningful to your brand so that you can connect with a broader consumer base. And, and there is no space, by the way certainly in broad sporting goods, active living environment that I'm more optimistic about than cycling. Because although core cycling products and frame sales have decreased a bit over recent years, the broader trend around bike share and urban and commuting and all things bike is there couldn't be any more optimism what cycling represents to people. And, right. you know, and then it's just a matter of figuring out how to connect with that. Yeah, yeah, that's really powerful. It, it does take it deeper. When we think about our business We offer coaching and training services, but really our business is about personal transformation. And part of what I'm hearing you say is you're in the cycling business, but it is deeper than that. What would you say happens to people when they experience your brand or what is it that you want that consumer to feel 
when they are experiencing your brand? Well, I mean, that is such a good question. And it's a simple answer in my mind and a, and a really complicated execution. Yes. But it's the why, right? People don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And, uh, you know, that's stealing a line from Simon Sinek. But it's really critical, I think, in general and really critical for us in the space that we're in. It's a relatively simple concept that truly successful companies completely appreciate. You mentioned Steve Jobs. I think Apple is one that has nailed it on people buying, you know, not what they do, but why they do it. And it's something that has always existed for Lozumi, but we, we pulled out of the equation. And that, you know, fundamentally, if you want to hang a moniker on it, it's our mission and our values. So when I yeah. first arrived a couple of years ago, it's one of the first things I looked for. And I found them. We had a mission and vision, but it, I joke that these things should be forever. But mm-hmm. the asterisk is if they're done right. So we didn't yes. find them well. They did not say why. They didn't give us the why. They gave us the what. So we went through a 10-month process and we identified the why. Our why, our mission is to unlock the power of inspiration mm. and impact. And our values are trust, craft, empathy, impact, and plus one. It was 100% participation from the employee base. Like I said, it was a 10-month process. The answer was in the building. We had to tap into it. We also needed the building to be invested in it and have their fingerprints. So that to me is really the key is you've got to identify the why. You know, and lucky for us, you know, that why is 100% internal, right? And we mm-hmm. hope that it resonates with consumers. Yes. Our vision is, you know, has some external elements to it. Our vision is to own the space and not the race. And that sort of connects it. So kind of forgot the core of your question, but I'll keep Nailed going. It. It's the idea that- Nailed it right? The, the why is so important for us and our brand campaign, and our tagline is here we go, is the external communication vehicle for the depth of our message, right? Yeah. You can't explain all that fun business strategy and depth of feeling that comes from, you know, from the creation of that mission for our team. But you have to, you know, you have to communicate that to the outside world because, because that's who we are and we want to attract people who, you know, who feel a similar way. So that's uh, the critical part of that whole equation. Mm-hmm. Well, I can see it and I can sense it and feel it as I'm connecting with you. And even as I do other things, like I'm out on a ride and I can see the apparel that people are wearing and how they feel mm-hmm. and what I see when I'm on your website, I love the deeper sense of purpose that you're creating. And I think all leaders can, really learn from that in their business. Enron's first value was integrity. Integrity. (laughs) It's just, it's, it's kind of a funny thing. You think about values, you think about that deeper why that you're talking about. And in so many instances and cases, they're really just pretty posters on the wall. They don't have any meaning and depth, but when they do, mm. you can always see it and feel it in an organization, the employees and the culture. I'm really curious about how did you involve people to come up with that? You said it was internal. You said it really, it needed to mm-hmm. come from within. What were a couple of ideas, maybe lessons learned that you took away from going through that 10-month process? You know, it really exposes you, right? I mean, you were, you were asking 100% of the yes. team to put their fingerprints on something. And there's risk in that, but I don't see any good alternative. You know, and yeah. when I say 100%, it's, you know, it's at minimum people were involved in surveys, but there was a high percentage, you know, in the neighborhood of a third that were involved in groups and subgroups to really bring it to life. And I mean, what I learned is there's an incredible amount of talent and passion in our group. And that, as much as anything, pulled it out because it's amazing how motivational that can be when you ask people to think about what matters, right? Yes. So we're not talking about zipper pulls or, 
you know, or, uh, you know, even marketing campaigns, we're talking about why we do what we do. And it just absolutely energized the team. I mean, it's one of those things, mm -hmm. honestly, you know, now is, you know, our chance to really activate it and to your point, like really bring it to life. And we have, of course, we put the value. We have great, these incredible, honestly, the values logos and they integrate into a key, which ties to the idea that the values unlock the power of inspiration and impact and all this stuff. Right. And, and literally they're on the window and they figuratively don't want them to be window dressing. And so now the pressure is, is on, you know, really living those values. But I was going to joke a second ago that, you know, I wish I could do that 10 month process every couple of years because it is so invigorating and pulls the team mm -hmm. together. But now we, we have the power of, of having gone through that process and divining something that's meaningful and we integrate it practical ways. I mean, our, you know, our right. performance reviews used to be a hundred percent, you know, quantitative goal focused. Now they're 50% goals and 50% values. So it's not mm -hmm. just what you do. It's how you do it. Right. It's, you might miss your goals, but live the values in a really meaningful way. And, and there's risk-taking opportunity awesome. in that. You might nail your goals and do it in a miserable way relative to our values. And 50% of your feedback is going to come from that. So mm -hmm. we have to bring them to life, but we do that in many different ways. Yeah. Really what I want to emphasize for all of our listeners that are tuning in is the what and the how that you just brought up. And they're both important. Yeah. I love how you're rewarding both, we got to get results, we've got to get it done. If we want to stay in business, it's critical for our success. But how we go about doing that is equally important. And I think leaders Absolutely. often miss the how, and ultimately it's usually the how that derails them in the workplace. Love the emphasis on both the what and the how. And just expanding on, on the, that perspective a little bit, I mean, I, I do think that a high-performing, motivated team focused on the why is probably the only truly sustainable competitive advantage. I mean, really it's not product, it's not innovation. It could be a patent. Patents obviously yeah. expire, right? Yes. The truly sustainable one, you know, is to have that team gel, that cohesive connection to the why. If you have that, it is not something you ever rest on, right? It's a competitive advantage is only sustainable if you tend to it continuously. But I do believe that to be true. Yeah. And listen, Chris, that, you know, I asked you a question earlier why is that personal human connection so important? And I think mm. what you just said maybe even goes back and answers that question. If that truly yeah, yeah. is an organization's competitive advantage, the way that people connect, the way that people collaborate, that human factor, the connection piece is so critically important. Absolutely. I think it also speaks to culture. I saw on your website, Pearl Azumi's culture is comprised of innovators, product testers, cyclists, marathoners, triathletes, rec league all-stars, dog lovers, thrill seekers, gluttons for punishment, brewmasters, mm -hmm. and on and on. So cool. How do you build a successful culture? You just talked about certainly the values and the why. Any other mm -hmm. things that you've learned in terms of really creating that culture? It's a moving target, right? I love the I love the word culture because culture exists whether you choose to, you know, to create it or not. We have a good culture by default. We aspire to have a great culture. Another thing that we have done, which is, which is a big effort, is we have defined and worked hard to create four big goals, you know, BHAGs, and one of them is around culture. And it specifically says that at the end of this time period that our BHAGs are focused on, we want a transformational culture is what we call it. So wow. you have to be intentional about it, right? Mm -hmm. We are sitting within a company called Pearl Zumi, within a space called Cycling, you know, that has so many positive attributes to it. You know, we're doing a lot of good things. We're making really good progress. 
So again, we do have a good culture, but to really accomplish all of our BHAGs and our big, big goals, yeah. we have to have a great culture. We've identified that. You know, we joked about Enron the other day. I won't call out another, you know, East Coast athletic stick and ball brand that's notorious for a bad culture and has been wonderfully successful. We don't believe that we can be successful without a culture. That's not for our strategy to work. You know, that needs to be a big part of it. So we're intentional about it. We focus on DEI and you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion. We focus on, you know, our team as brand ambassadors. Yeah. We focus on talent management. One of the big changes that that I made was to transition our VP HR from HR to a VP talent, you know, because we yes. want to focus on talent. You have to be really intentional about the things you do to attract, retain, reward, et cetera, the best talent. So it starts with, I think, being very intentional and very thoughtful about what does a good culture for Perlazumi mean, not in general, but for us mean, mm-hmm. and then build to it, right? It's not something that you can just take lightly and hope it comes together. Yeah, I love it. One of the things I've always admired about you as a person and as a leader is the purpose-driven aspect that you have, and I can hear it in your language, intention, focus on the why, how you're building culture. You mentioned diversity, equity, and inclusion. What's an example Mm -hmm. of how that is an important aspect of your culture? There's an organization in the outdoor industry called Canberra Outdoors, and they're a good thought leader. Uh, There are others as well in the space. We leverage some of those thought leaders to help us with the answer to that question. But for us, it's if we want to interact with a diverse consumer base, and as I talked about earlier, cycling consumers, it's super easy to generalize, right? I mean, we Mm -hmm. use stereotypes to make life easier. And you can stereotype mountain bikers versus road bikers, what have you. There's so much diversity in in the cycling space. And if we want to tap into and communicate with that diversity... We need it on our side too. And it hasn't always been the case. I mean, there's been times in Prozumi's history where it was populated with, you know, very traditional thought relative to what cycling is and should be. So we're just really trying to connect with the consumer as part of the strategy to do that. And it's part of that strategy and it's part of the culture strategy that I mentioned earlier is really cultivating that diverse thought, but also cultivating an environment that pulls out, embraces, and reacts to that diverse thought. Well, one of our values I mentioned earlier quickly is, is empathy. Empathy is super critical. It's not about understanding other people. And we're very clear about that. It's about seeking to understand other people mm-hmm. because we can't understand, uh, you know, right. I can barely understand, you know, my wife or my son, right? It's we try, you seek to, you know, so that's a really important perspective for us. And then you, again, you have to be really clear about how you go about doing that. We have an executive team at ProZoom. We have four VPs and, uh, and we have been, pretty intentional about making that as one of many examples and even gender split. So, you know, we want gender diversity, we want ethnicity and background, you know, every kind, but we don't want it just to have it. We want it, you know, in a way that we can leverage that, that diversity of thought. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. That's, it's pretty awesome. That diversity of thought, you know, almost always leads to better business outcomes. And, you know, that's, that's kind of the side benefit mm-hmm. of having a focus on that in, in other areas. I know that you've made choices to align your career with your mm-hmm. passion about skiing and cycling and so many other things outside. And now again, you're leading this cycling organization. I've done the same mm-hmm. in the sense that climbing is a passion for me and fitness is a passion for me. Mm-hmm. Give us a little bit of context on how fitness health is important to your life as a leader. If I really go back again, a long way, you know, coming out of undergrad, I took a job that I think was was a facilitator for me. It was, a, you know, gave me diverse experience because I knew I wanted to go back to business school. While at business school, it was one of the 
perspectives that solidified for me. And that's the idea that subject matter matters. I, I love business. I'm a student of business. I'm entertained by it. But I also know that when I apply that perspective to subject matter that I care about, you know, it, it's yes. more powerful. So yes, you know, cycling and skiing and, you know, and motorsports in my past and some of the things that I've done have all been focused around things that I care about, even technology inclusive to that idea. But for the last, gosh, 17, 18 years or so, it's been in sporting goods and, and active living. One of the things I love about it is I love those categories. And, it, and as I said, it helps fuel some of my success, I think, and certainly my my enjoyment, which is connected yes. to success. Right. And when you talk about active living, yes, it's a super important thing for me. I'm a relatively old father. And, you know, and if I'm going to stay young and, and keep up with them, right, it's great. And it, it's funny, too, actually, because you mentioned I've been in the ski business, I've been in the bike business. So there's, a, there's a saying in the ski industry that if you want to ski a lot, you need to be in the bike industry. Right. Oh, interesting. Because you're busy. Your busy season is the winter. So if you're in the ski industry, you're too busy to ski. You know, lucky for me in the bike industry, you can ride all year long. But uh, we have lunch rides every day. I wish I could tell you that I made them every day. But having that element of it where it's just part of what you do and it, you know, it makes us better at what we do if we get on the bike and we experience things from the saddle as much as possible. So it does connect things that are important to me and helps me, you know, maintain a healthy lifestyle when I'm working and traveling too much. Yeah. I've got a six-year-old and three-year-old, so I <laughs> I get it. A little bit yeah, of an older and, dad yeah, with kids that age. and. Yeah. Yeah, we've got to take care of ourselves. One last question. What's your advice to the busy, stressed, results-oriented executive around health? How do they add more health and or fitness or mental well-being to their lives? Any perspectives on that? I'll sidestep the question by giving a broad answer. You know, the same way that we have business strategies and, you know, and uh, we're purpose-driven from a business perspective, we need to be purpose-driven from a, from a personal perspective. So, yeah. you know, if it's worth doing, it's worth putting a plan around. Right. And if your plan is you want to bolster your education in a certain arena, then you've got to put a plan together and decide what books you're going to read and what seminars you're going to attend. And if you want to be fit, you have to put a plan together. This is what I'm going to do on Tuesday mornings and Thursday nights and put it on the calendar and, and schedule it. So I believe it absolutely should be a priority because things will fall apart if your health falls apart to the extent that you can keep yourself healthy, make it a part of your plan. Chris, you're an amazing man, human being. Leader, thank you so much for being on this podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much, Sal. I say the exact same thing right back to you. You're wonderful. And yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to chat. Thanks, Chris. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast. You can get session notes on our website at 512solutions.com. That's the numbers 512solutions.com. Please follow and like the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're tuning in. And if you want to learn more about how we can help transform your people into confident and action-oriented leaders, please check out our website at 512solutions.com. I look forward to continuing the conversation about the future of leadership. I'm out. <laughs>